you didn't get a study sheet, why don't you raise your hand and get one. It'll, it'll help you follow along this morning with where we're headed. All right, so, so last week we was, the, was the first message as we began our, our new book study in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And man, we, we saw last week that there's a whole lot that we can glean from those first three verses of the book of, of Thessalonians out of chapter 1 that we were studying. And, and what we saw last week was that we saw that just like Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy wrote the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and they did that together as a team, and, and they ministered even together as a team as they traveled to different places, in that same way, we have been called by God to minister together as a team. The, the Bible re, re, refers to that team as a body. And, and, and each of us, we're, we're all different members of that body and, and someone is the hand and, and someone is the foot and I won't go take liberty to try to distinguish who's who out of that bunch because I, w- I wouldn't want to offend you because I, I think I don't know that I'd want to be the grimy foot but, but somebody's got to be the foot and so but, but we're all different different parts and we're and what we're doing is is we're working together to accomplish a common goal we're working together and functioning together to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and, and reach them with that truth and then establish them in the faith so that they can do the same with others and this thing continues. We, we, we do that as a body and as a team and this particular team is called Cali Harbin Baptist Church. We don't have a mascot yet and so we'll be taking a vote at the end of the service to see what that should be but that, that's, the, that's the team that we're on here this at Cali Harbin Baptist Church. And man, I'm proud to be a part of this team. We, we also learned about this phrase that Paul uses in every single letter that he writes, which is this phrase he repeats, grace and peace, grace and peace. Every time you turn around, he's saying that. And, and I wanted to make sure last week that we emphasized that on this spiritual team that we're on, where we've been called to work together in harmony, the only way there will be consistently peace is if first there's grace. And, and that's exactly why Paul says them in the same exact order every time he says them, grace and peace. That's why he says them in that order, because in order to have peace, there must first be grace. But, but only be willing to show as much grace to others as you want to receive from your heavenly father. That, that's where the bar has been set. And, and, and then... And then we were also challenged with how it was that we were growing spiritually. How, how is that going? We, we, we get pumped with a lot of Bible around here, but, but what, are we actually, what are we actually doing with it? Have we become dull of hearing in the midst of that? Have we become slothful with the truths that we've heard by not doing anything with what we've learned? And, and, and I just want to reinforce to you this morning, never stop evaluating your spiritual growth. We ought to all be growing, and if we're not, we're kind of all just wasting our time, aren't we? we? We should not still be struggling with the same thing right now that we were struggling with last year. If we evaluate the last year of our lives, there have inevitably been things that God has brought before you that he has brought to your attention to where you have felt convicted. I need to stop that. And then there are inevitably other things that God has brought to your attention that you said, I need to start that. How are we doing with, with those things? May we never be content with where we are, but may we continue to push forward and to grow spiritually. And that's where we ended last week. We ended by seeing that the church of the Thessalonians was a growing church. They, we saw that they were, they were specifically growing in their faith, and they were specifically growing in their charity. And, and so where we ended last week in verse 3 of chapter 1 was, was Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Man, they thanked God for the faith and the charity of this Thessalonian church that they'd been pouring into and the way that they continued to grow in those two virtues. And as we begin this morning and as we move forward in this chapter, though Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they've already been 
been bragging on the Thessalonians for the, for the way that they've grown in their faith and charity. They're not finished bragging on them just yet. They want to brag on this church a little more because of the way that this Thessalonian church had become an example to others. So let's first, let's look at our, our example in adversity. Number one, our, our example in adversity. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4 is where we're picking up this morning. And it says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're, they're going around to the other churches. Do you, are you seeing this? They're, they're glorying in this Thessalonian church as they go to these other churches talking about this church at Thessalonica. They're, they're bragging on them in a good way. And, and this verse shows us that one of, the made, ma, one of the major primary factors here that was behind Paul, Silas, and Timothy being able to glory in them justifiably or, or brag on them or boast in them is the way that these guys responded to adversity in their life. And we've talked a lot about the adversity that the Church of the Thessalonians went through over the course of the last year or so. So if, you, you've, so if you've been here, that should be familiar to you. But almost immediately upon the Thessalonians calling upon the name of the Lord to save them, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy reached them with the gospel, almost immediately they were met with intense adversity and persecution. Even physical violence was immediately coming upon these new believers in Christ. This verse specifically mentioned the, mentions the persecutions and tribulations that this church, they, that they endured. And, and I want to quickly define for us what these terms persecutions and tribulations actually mean so that we just better understand what God is trying to teach us from this verse. So if we were to find persecutions, we could say that persecutions are attacks that are made on us by our fellow man, or physical or otherwise. Because it, it can be physical, but it can also be people talking bad about you and lying about you because of the way that they don't like your faith. And so persecutions are, are tough times with people. It, but in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, Jesus says it this way, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. So persecution can be physical or verbal, but it's tough times with people. And tribulations are tough times with circumstances. You see the difference? When we're being persecuted, there's tribulation, but not all tribulation is a result of persecution. Sometimes tribulations are just simply life, right? Life in this fallen world that we're living in, and it's not related necessarily to people wronging you. It's hunger, it's sickness, it's job loss, it's financial problems, it's death, and there's just no getting around tough times like this in our lives. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, something monumental, and he says... In the world, ye shall have tribulation. We're all going to have it. Now, some of us are going to have it a lot worse than others and, and to varying degrees, but we're all going to have it in this fallen world. We are all going to have tribulations in this world. And so what I want us to see is, is that because of the way that the church of the Thessalonians, because of the way this group responded to persecutions and tribulations, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were able to go around and say, this is an example and this is a testimony, and they were able to be an encouragement to other churches that were living the same thing. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, he says something very similar about the way that God was using this church in Corinth to be an example to others. He says, for I know the forwardness of your mind or, or your, your willingness or your readiness of mind. I know your forwardness of mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia 
that Achaia was ready a year ago, and here it is, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Paul was boasting and he was bragging on this church at Corinth as well. And what I want you to see is, is that the testimony that this church had and, and the example that this church set was used by God to provoke others to do the same. The church at Corinth's zeal, it had provoked very many. They saw the zeal that they had and they're like, man, I feel convicted that that's not evident in my life. In this case, this zeal that they had was actually connected to the way that they gave. Paul was able to go to other churches and say, let me tell you something about the zeal and the passion of this church to give to God, even when they didn't have much. In other churches, they were provoked to do the same, and there were very many that followed the church at Corinth, and they did what they did, and they followed that example. In that same way, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're now using the example of the Thessalonians in, 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 the, in this particular church, and they're going to other churches, and they're saying, man, the church of the Thessalonians, the way that they're responding to persecutions and tribulations is unbelievable. They're responding to all these things in, in, in faith, and they're responding in patience, and, and now it's being used to provoke other people to do the same in their lives. And it's a beautiful thing, because following the lead of another church is exactly how the Thessalonians learned how to deal with adversity. You see, they're dealing with adversity, but, but you see, they had also followed the lead of somebody else because 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 shows us this because it tells us that, that they became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. You see, how that's how it works, y'all. How to respond to persecutions and tribulations was modeled to the Thessalonians by the churches in Judea. And then the church of the Thessalonians began modeling the same thing to other churches. And then 2,000 years later, here we are sitting here, and the church of the Thessalonians is provoking us to follow in their footsteps. Because God wants us to model this to others too. Listen, other people are watching our lives and other churches are watching our church and God's desire is to use our lives and to use this church to be an example to other people and to other churches. Even if that means he's got to use persecutions and tribulations to do it. In, in this whole process that, that I've just described, it's what discipleship is all about. Churches discipling churches and people discipling people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, it gives us this great summary of what discipleship is. Listen, it says, And ye became followers of us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Listen, discipleship is following someone who is not only speaking the word of God, but who is manifesting the life of God. Do you understand that? You got that, you, got, you got that slide? Is that a slide? That should be a slide. There it is. That is a slide. Okay, cool. Discipleship, listen, is following someone who is not only speaking the word of God, but who is manifesting the life of God. Yeah, the disciples should be speaking the word of God, but they should also be modeling the life of God. The 18 lessons we have are, are great to facilitate it and to help us communicate the word of God to someone. But never forget, it's so much more than that because it's life on life. They're watching your life and learning from it. If you're involved in our discipleship ministry, and I hope you are, never think that your job is to simply impart biblical truth to another individual. No, it's to manifest and model the life of Jesus Christ in front of them and give them the truth of the Word of God in the process. So with that said, here's how we've been called to respond to persecutions and tribulations in faith and patience. And God wants us, as we respond that way, He wants to use us so that we can model to others like the Thessalonians church modeled it for all of us. And I think that it's important to take a second just to consider what all it was that this church of the Thessalonians, what it was that they actually endured. 
I mentioned a few minutes ago that, that persecution comes from people, and, and yes, sometimes it's verbal, and, and nobody likes when people are talking trash about them. I, I get that for whatever reason it is, but, but the persecution that the Thessalonians endured, it was also physical. They were physically harmed, and they were chased down, and they were beaten as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't even think I need to say this because I think I'm stating the obvious here. But for most of us, this has never been our reality. Anybody here been beaten for their faith in the last few weeks? We've maybe been talked bad about, but that's probably the extent of it. And listen, we have been a very fortunate group of people. We have lived in a country and in a period of time where persecution is extremely rare. Now, it, it is still, it's still going on in other countries. Don't, don't get it twisted. But in our country at this time, at least for right now, it is not a reality for us. In God's incredible grace and mercy, he has saw fit to continue to bless this nation that we live in in a variety of ways, including the fact that we still have freedom of religion. For all the shortcomings and all the blind spots that we've always had as a nation, there were many, many years where our country was the greatest place in the world for preaching. It was the greatest place for revivals. We sent more missionaries out than anybody else. We gave more money to missions than anyone else. And God has had his hand on us and has for the time being left it on us considering the economic state that we're still in and the freedoms that we still have. And though our country has been far from perfect, we've been seeing things get worse and worse in a variety of ways through the years. Even believers have let go of their belief that we've got a final authority in the Word of God. With the, with, with, with the, with the things that go on in the name of Christianity, we've made a mockery of God. With the way this country sacrifices babies, we're no different than the heathens in the Old Testament sacrificing their children to Moloch. And somehow, some way, for some reason, God has continued to keep us as a world power, and he has continued to bless us with religious freedoms along with many other rights that we all enjoy. And there may be only one reason left as to why he's doing that. And it's because in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2 and 3, God is talking to Abraham, and here's what he says. And I will make of thee a great nation. We know that as the nation of Israel. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And here it is. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Listen, our support of the nation of Israel may be the last thread we are hanging on to before God just goes ahead and lets us fall. And so there's a lot surrounding the, this, this war that's going on in Israel. And, and, and there's some strange things that have gone on. I'm not trying to get into all that. I just know this. As a country, we better watch ourselves with the way that we handle the nation of Israel. And that's not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. Your political affiliation is whatever. But biblically and historically, this has proven to be true. We better watch how we handle Israel. It may just be the last thread that we're hanging on to right now. And I don't say that to scare you. I, I say that for a reason. I, I say that because if we can't handle persecution now, we surely aren't going to deal with it well if the bottom falls out. A pastor friend of mine, many of you know him, his name, his name is Dan Renault. He's the pastor of Living Faith Lee's Summit in, in Missouri. And he had this unique opportunity to go to Warren Wearsby's house while he was still alive. A, a lot of you are probably familiar with him. He's a, he was a pastor and a very well-known author, and many of you probably have books in your house that he wrote. You don't even know he was the one that wrote them. Uh, y y but, you know, we don't we don't line up on everything. But, man, he's got a lot of lot of good stuff. And when Dan is at his house, he asks Wearsby, he asks him this very interesting question. He asks him, he says, 
what is it that you think that the church needs? In other words, in general, there's clearly something wrong with what's going on in the church. So what does the church need that would actually help fix this? And before Dan could finish the question, Wearsby anticipated where this question was going, and he cut him off before he finished, and he said, persecution. The church needs persecution, is what he said. And, and Wearsby didn't get a chance to elaborate on why he said that. But I think I have an idea as to why that he did. Because what happens when the church faces persecution is, is it separates the men from the boys. It, it sometimes separates the real from the fake. Stronger believers dig in that much more to their faith than the weaker believers, and those straddling the fence, they disappear. It makes you either go all in or all out, doesn't it? And man, most of us have had it good and we've really never been persecuted. But listen, if we were, the rubber would meet the road then, wouldn't it? It would show us what we're really made of. Because the negative part of living in the midst of a time in a country where persecution isn't our reality is, is most of us have lived in a world where our faith has never cost us a thing. In fact, our Christianity and applying Christian morals to our lives has probably taken us more places than it's kept us from. And God forbid that persecution ever comes. But if it does, are you prepared and are you strong enough in your faith to follow the example of the Thessalonian church and in turn be an example to others as you respond in faith and patience? Now, tribulations... That's another, that's another story, right? We, we've got more experience with tribulations than we do with persecution, that's for sure. Now, now, most of us have been afforded many benefits and blessings in that department as well. For example, most of us wouldn't know what it was like to miss a meal. You know, uh, we, in other parts of the world, they'd be more than acquainted with that reality. But tribulations are certainly something, again, we can relate to a whole lot better than we can persecutions and again tribulations are the negative things that happen to all of us that we all hate and all of us have had some combination of financial issues and health issues and loss of life and loss of loved ones loss of job those sorts of things and though we've all had tribulations like that again there are varying degrees that that's affected all of us we're certainly not all the same in that but, but what this verse teaches us is, is that no matter what our tribulations are, we're to respond to those tribulations in faith and in patience. We're to model that for others to see so that they can follow our example to say, that's how you respond to adversity right there, like, the, like this group. That's what the Church of the Thessalonians modeled for us, and that's what we're to model to others. And I get it, man. Nobody likes tribulations of life. When tribulations hit us in life, we begin to understand what he meant when he said praying without ceasing, don't we? We really start to get a, a grasp on that verse when tribulations hit us and we beg God to take away whatever it is. And I get it, man. When my dad was sick, there was a long stretch of time where there couldn't have been two hours that have got, went by that I didn't beg God to heal my dad. I, I get it, man. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's a strange thing because this thing of adversity that we've all lived and that we keep seeing in the lives of the Thessalonians, do you realize that it's actually essential that we all experience these things in our lives? That's what I want us to see next. It, it, this is actually essential. It's our need for adversity. We have a need for adversity. Earlier, we saw in John 16, 33, that, uh, that in the world, we're going to have tribulations. That's just the way it is. But do you realize that it's, it's not just because we live in a fallen world, but, but the reason is actually because God has us scheduled appointments with adversity? Do you remember what we learned in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 when we were there? Paul, Silas, and Timothy's desire for the Thessalonians was that they wouldn't be moved by these afflictions for yourselves. Know that we are appointed thereunto. 
For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as that came to pass, and ye know. You know that came to pass. We have appointments scheduled for afflictions and tribulations and adversity in this life. It's really just a matter of how many we're going to see and how many appointments we actually have. And it's essential that no matter how big and no matter how small the adversity that we respond in faith and in patience to get through it like 2 Thessalonians 1.4 says. And, and I think most of us should be aware of just how essential it is to have faith. Faith is how God designed us to access his grace, right? That's how he designed it. So if you're saved this morning, you were saved by God's grace through faith. God's grace and salvation is available to all, but to all that respond to him in faith. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, it, it says that the same way we received Christ, well, that's how we ought to walk. We should walk the same way. Well, how do you receive Christ? We receive Christ by faith, and now we're to walk by faith for the rest of our lives. And so when we face adversity, we must have the faith that God is able to remove the adversity. But even more importantly, we must have the faith that it's going to be okay even if he doesn't. We have to have faith in God's promises, promises like we find in Romans 8:28 that we know he promised that he's working everything together for our good and his glory and we can trust that we know that he promised in second corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 that no matter what we're going through his grace will be sufficient and his strength will be made perfect in our weakness and so we can't overstate the role that, that faith plays in our walk with Christ. And so one of the reasons adversity is so needful is because adversity grows our faith. Adversity is needful, letter A, to grow our faith. So we're, we're to respond to adversity in faith, to model the life of Christ to other believers, but that adversity is actually what's continuing to grow us and continuing to strengthen our faith. In God's eyes, adversity is priceless. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, here's where he says that. Would you, would you, listen, would you look at this closely? Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. He says we can rejoice even if the season of life that we're currently in right now is filled with adversity. It feels heavy and it's almost like there's a weight on our chest. And here's why we can do that. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Listen, our faith being put on trial is so valuable in God's eyes that you can't put a dollar amount on it. It's much more precious than gold that's going to perish one day. And, and all the gold on earth is going to perish one day once we leave this temporal existence that we're currently living in. But in this verse, God's trying to teach us more than just that. He's pointing us somewhere. And we can see that because the gold that's referred to here is a gold that will never perish, opposed to a gold that he references that will perish. And it won't perish, this gold he's talking about, that will never perish. It won't perish even when it's tried by fire. What's that about? And we're about to see what that trial of fire is. This gold here is what 1 Corinthians chapter, thir chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, describes as a, as a treasure in heaven that we have the ability to, to lay up for ourselves while on this earth. In verse 12, it specifically teaches us that one of those treasures that we can lay up for ourselves in heaven is gold. And it's gold that won't perish even when it's tried by fire. And according to verse 13, it will be tried by fire. Listen, what verse 13 is describing is the fact that there is coming a day when we're all going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and our works in this life are going to be tried by fire. 
not as the determining factor of whether or not we're going to heaven or not, but the determining factor of whether or not we will receive reward in heaven and to what degree we will see, receive reward. So the way it works is, is the day we got saved, we became a builder. And Jesus is the, is the foundation of the structure, the Bible teaches us. But what we build on that foundation after that is up to us. According to verse 12, through our lives, we're either building on top of that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. When God lights those things up, you know which ones are going to be burned up? That wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be gone, but that gold and the silver and the precious stones, they won't even when tried by fire. And when we look again at 1 Peter 1.7, we understand there's a gold that we can store up for ourselves in heaven, even while we're down here on earth, that's going to last even when God tries it by fire. But there's another type of gold that will last. There's that type of gold that will last eternally, but there's another type of gold that won't last eternally. And listen, you know one of the ways that you can store up treasures in heaven according to this verse? By the way we handle the trial of our faith. And when Jesus returns, that's going to bring him praise and honor and glory. And though the trials of our lives feel like weights, and they feel like heavy weights that are just pulling us down, God's saying that it's, it's only for a season. It may be for the whole season of this life or of this existence. It may be a season of a few months, but it's for a season, and he's trying our faith to prove it and to grow it, and that's so important because those trials and that, and, and, and that he's putting us through and that growth is how we're going to have eternal reward in heaven. Those trials, they're of infinite value in God's eyes. They're, they're priceless in his eyes. In those seasons we're being tried, God is he's stretching us, man. He's, he's growing our faith so that we can lay up treasures in heaven. If he didn't try our faith through adversity, then our faith wouldn't grow and neither would our eternal portfolio in heaven. And you see, we need adversity because of faith that has never been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. It needs to be tested to prove if it's even real and that that test and that adversity, it can oftentimes prove that our faith wasn't real or that it was real and then what it does is it grows our faith. Our faith, it's like a, it's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. It, it works kind of like this, this story that that my that my mom was telling me about a couple weeks ago in it, back in the 1980s there was an experiment done in the desert that they called the biodome and in the purpose of this experiment it was to create the perfect living environment for plants and animals and, and people and and so they they made this huge glass dome and they and, and they made this controlled environment where they had purified air and purified water and filtered light and all things things like this and so it was it was essentially perfect growing conditions for trees and plants and animals and vegetables and, and humans so so people lived in the biodome for quite a few months at a time and that went pretty well and, and it was great everything seemed to be going good but they were having a problem with those doggone trees when the trees that were planted grew to a certain height, those things kept toppling over. Like, why do these trees keep toppling over when they get to a certain height? And for the longest time, they couldn't figure it out until one day they realized that in these controlled conditions, there was a natural element that they had forgotten to add. It was wind. You see, the trees need wind to blow up against them because it causes their roots to grow deeper in the soil, which strengthens the tree as it grows taller. Now, I'm sure if those trees could talk, they would express exactly how annoying and frustrating it is that this wind keeps blowing them all around. But that wind was what was giving the trees the strength 
and the ability to grow tall. And listen, that's what the wind of adversity is doing to our faith. Those trials and tribulations and maybe persecutions come along in our lives and they're frustrating and they're inconvenient and sometimes horrible and no one would ever pick them for themselves, but they're needful because they're the very thing that God is using to strengthen us so that we can grow. And like I mentioned a minute ago, that through that adversity, God is giving us an opportunity. He's giving us an opportunity to store up treasure in heaven, which far outweighs anything we could earn on this earth. But there's another reason adversity is needful, and it's important that we see. It's so that we grow our patience. To grow our patience. When adversity comes, it's, we're no stranger to emphasizing this thing of faith, right? That's a normal thing. But this other virtue mentioned here in verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it's, it's also essential to the way that we respond to adversity. And it, and it kind of gets slept on a little bit. It doesn't get as much hype and as much billing as this thing of faith does. And, and of course, it's this thing of patience. The Thessalonians responded to persecutions and tribulations and adversity with faith and patience. And in the midst of all the different things that life may throw our way, listen, y'all, patience is going to be invaluable in the midst of that. Because in the midst of adversity, even if you have faith in all the promises of God and you believe that God is working things together for your good and working to get things together for His glory, even if you believe that, you're going to want that adversity to hurry on up and get over with. And when that's the season of life that we're in, patience is what's going to keep us going. And you see, patience and faith, they go hand in hand because you know how it is that you actually get patience into your life. James chapter 1 and verse 3 says that the trying of our faith worketh patience. Faith and patience, they're working together. The way we get patience in our lives is through our faith being tried. So when our faith is being tried, it's not only strengthening our faith, it's building patience into our lives. When our faith is being tried, it's not only strengthening our faith, it's building patience into our lives. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing what they know, that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given to us you see it's all working together tribulations are trying our faith and that's what's building and growing patience into our lives and those tribulations they're they're growing us to the point where verse 5 says we won't be ashamed in other words Despite our adversity, God is growing us to the point where we won't be sitting around ashamed or confused and, and disappointed and disillusioned and discouraged. And patience is one of the key virtues that we need to have in our lives if we're ever going to grow to a place of spiritual maturity. This thing of patience is essential. You might get away with, with not adding every single virtue that's ever been rattled off in the history of mankind to your life, you ain't getting away with patience being out of the list. In, in fact, now that we're, we're all saved, God likens our lives to a race. Right? You, you've read this before. We're all, we're all running this race. right? We all, and we all have a, have a course. But do you realize that it's impossible to run the race that we've been called to run without patience? You can't do it without that virtue. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says it like this. Wherefore, seeing we are all compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. And what should you do? Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, we're never going to finish the spiritual race that we're on the way God intends for us to finish if we don't run 
with patience. Are you seeing that? And so God says each of us will have appointments with afflictions because the trial of our faith is going to build patience, and patience is an essential virtue if we're going to run the race that has been set before us, the race of life. And here's what we have to understand about patience. Like I mentioned, Romans 5, 3 and James 1, 3 teach us that tribulations and adversities, they try our faith and that, that the trial and that trial of faith, it, it, it grows our faith and, and those tribulations and adversity are also what builds and grows patience into your lives. To, and, so do you, and so do you know what we come to realize off of the heels of that? We realize that we can't grow in patience by reading about it. We, we can't grow in patience by watching someone else who has mastered it to perfection. We can't, that, that won't cut it. That will help. That will not cut it. It's not something that we can pick up by watching it on television. No, we grow in patience through experience. We grow in patience through experience of persecutions and trials and tribulations and adversity. That's how we get it. We can read that we ought to have patience in the midst of adversity, but it's different when the rubber meets the road and you're living in that adversity. That's what's going to try your faith and build patience in your life. And it's essential that we have patience to run the race of life that God has put us on. And so it's essential that we have adversity in our lives. In 2 Peter chapter 1, God lays out for us what we could call the, the path to spiritual growth. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I'll probably allude to it all the time. But it's, one of, it's, it's such a monumental passage. Last week, we, we talked about some of the stages of spiritual growth and how how God uses the physical world to teach us about the spiritual world as far as the stages of spiritual growth are concerned and he likens us to spiritual babies and little children and young men and in 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 and of course fathers and and so that that was the stages of spiritual growth though but this passage in second Peter chapter 1 is laying out for us the path to spiritual growth it gives us a step-by-step -step sequence of the God-ordained path to spiritual growth. It's a sequence. Here's the sequence, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. The sequence is this. And besides this, give, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't just give us this list of virtues to begin piling into our lives after salvation. No, there's, there's actually an order to it if you study what's actually being said here. Add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge. You don't add the knowledge to your faith, you add the knowledge to your virtue. Virtue means you do what you know, and there's no distance or dissonance between what you know and what you do. That's, that's virtue. So it makes sense that virtue comes before knowledge, because what good is the knowledge if you aren't doing what you know to do? Again, it's a, it's a sequence. And in this sequence, it gives us seven virtues that we're to add to our faith. But do you see what not only makes the list, but comes one step before we arrive at godliness, it's this incredibly underrated virtue of patience. Listen, if we're ever going to grow to a place of spiritual maturity, God is going to have to grow us in our patience. And so we're, we're running the race of life that God has us on. And, and in order to run the way we've been called to run and grow the way that we've been called to grow, to run that race, we have to grow in patience. So we have to have appointments with adversity because those experiences are the only way we'll grow in patience. So we have a need for adversity in order to grow in faith and grow in patience. And then next, we need adversity to be counted worthy of the kingdom. Letter C, to be counted worthy of the kingdom. Look at 2 Thessalonians beginning in chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. We're going to work our way to 
verse 5. It, it, it says in what we've seen already, it says, So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Here it is that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. These persecutions and these afflictions that come into our lives, they're needful so that we're counted worthy for the kingdom of God that we're going to enter. Do you remember what Jesus taught us in John 15, beginning in verse 20? He taught us that a servant isn't greater than his Lord. If Jesus was persecuted and suffered for us, what makes us think that it would be any different for us? In verse 21, Jesus essentially says, don't take it personal. It's not so much that they hate you. It's really that they hate me. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, Peter says, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Listen, the sufferings of Christ are the basis for Christian suffering. You understand that? Jesus suffered, and we've been called to do the same now, and we've been called to do it in faith and in patience. It's, it's why in 1 Peter 4.13, our sufferings are referred to as partaking in Christ's sufferings. Jesus suffered on our behalf, and as a result, we've been called to suffer on his behalf. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, it's not on the screen, just listen. It says that, that we not only believe on Christ, but we, we suffer for his sake. We suffer because he suffer, because it's causing us to know him, and it's causing us to fellowship with him because what we what happens is is we all get a small taste of what he did for us and what that actually creates between us and god in the midst of understanding that is it creates fellowship between us philippians three ten, paul says that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Through our suffering, it causes us to know God and it causes us to fellowship with God. That's the purpose. Because in order to truly understand and live in the power of resurrecting to new life, you first have to understand the suffering of death. And though we call suffering horrible, God calls it fellowship. That's what he designed it to be. And listen, it isn't just believers that suffer and have adversity. It, it's just that God is, is using suffering and adversity to bring unbelievers to the end of themselves so they'll look up and call on Jesus' name to save them. And God is bringing those that do believe suffering and adversity. They're bringing, he's bringing them through that so that we can come to the end of ourselves, so that we'll know him and fellowship with him and grow in our walk with him so that we can be counted worthy of his kingdom when this life is over. And you just have to love the example that, that Peter sets for us when it comes to this thing of suffering adversity. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, Peter and the apostles, they, they'd just been thrown in jail and they were, they were beaten and then they were released. And here was their response. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, Peter and the apostles rejoiced because they were counted worthy to, to suffer the shame of Jesus' name. And the way they endured that suffering was the thing that was making them count worthy of the kingdom in Jesus' eyes. If in the midst of adversity your perspective is that you have been counted worthy to suffer for his kingdom, then you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. That's how it works. If your perspective is that you have been counted worthy to suffer, then you will be counted worthy of the kingdom. 
Because if we have that perspective, we'll endure that suffering with faith and patience, and God will count us worthy. Earlier, we talked about how at the judgment seat of Christ, our, our works are tried by fire, and the truth is going to be out then. Again, our, our works don't save us, but our rewards are based on this. And, and when our works are tried by fire, we're going to see what our works really were, and we're going to even see the motive behind our works. Because our, our works and our investments in the eternal have to be done with the right motives in order to last, or they're going to get burned up too. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 describes it like this. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Listen, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works are tried by fire, it's going to bring everything to light including the sins we think that we're hiding, and including the good things we're doing for the wrong reasons. And after that, that's when we'll have praise of God, depending on the outcome of that. That's when God counts us worthy or unworthy of his kingdom. And part of the criteria that he's basing that on is how we respond to suffering and adversity. Listen, God's saying to us this morning, in this life, we're all going to have suffering and we're all going to have adversity and we're all going to have trials and tribulations and persecutions. We all have an appointment with those things because they're needful. They're going to strengthen us and they're going to grow our faith, y'all. They're, they're the only way for us to grow our patience. And without patience, we can't properly run the race of life and based on how we respond to adversity, that's how God is going to count us worthy of the kingdom that we're entering. God's saying that suffering, you view it as horrible, view it as an opportunity for you to gain eternal reward in heaven. That's what he's setting us up for. Do you approach the adversity in your life this morning with that perspective? Jesus, you suffered for me. Thank you for counting me worthy to suffer for you. Father, we love you and we thank you for the way that you suffered for us. God, it's perfectly reasonable that you've asked us to do the same for you. I pray we would do it with faith and with patience and that as a result of it, it would be an example to others and that your word would go forth to others as a result of that example. God, you are, you are worthy to be praised. We praise your name for saving us. We praise your name for for dying for us and for the way that you suffered. God, I pray that the adversity that we will all inevitably be facing in our lives, I'm just praying that you would help us to see it from the proper perspective and that we would use it for what it is, the opportunity to grow in our faith, to grow in our patience, and an opportunity to store up eternal reward in heaven so that we may be counted worthy of the kingdom that we're entering. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.